Hello and welcome to an Ultimaker Turns 10 bonus episode, a miniature portrait of one of our year one staff members who, along with our co-founders and some of their early collaborators, helped paint a portrait of Ultimaker in its earliest years. This is Ultimaker Turns 10, bonus episode two, Martijn van Hils. My name is Martijn van Hils. My official role is project engineer. But my job within Ultimaker is a multitude of things. I've been a project lead for multiple projects. I'm now the team lead for the products and markets. So that means we do maintenance on all machines that are not considered uh, a project anymore. So everything we do that is regarding supplier problems, end of life of parts, that come back to those machines we handle. So there's a small group of engineers that cover all different manner of topics there. I got to know 3D printing because of Bart, Bart Konings. He's a very good friend of mine. He told me about this new company that he was working with. They were doing something with 3D printing. It was just a group of friends in a garage somewhere and they needed extra hands. That's when I first heard about it. And then when he really started talking a lot about his job, I was also looking for a job being a student. I told him uh, the moment they're looking for people there, you call me and I'll happily come and work there. What did you study? What were you planning to do with your life before you got pulled into <laughs> Ultimaker? What I did before starting to work at Ultimaker was basically I studied to become a software consultant. And then my relationship of six years ended and I wanted to do something else instead of studying. So it met up with the time that Bart was starting to work at Ultimaker. So I was like, ah, this sounds like a cool thing to do. I want to take a break of half a year from my study, which ended up being almost five and a half years of not studying because I liked working at Ultimaker so much. I'm officially the first employee of Ultimaker and that's not because I was working there the longest, but I'm actually the first person that they had to give an official Ultimaker contract to. So people like Bart Konings, who's worked there half a year before me, Harma, who's been with the company for way longer, even when it was not officially a company, they were either, they either came in via an agency, meaning the agency took care of the contracts, or they were just helping out or a combination of things. And I didn't have any of that. So I went to Eric, I think it was at the time and, and asked like, Hey, I like working here, but am I actually getting paid as well? He was like, Oh yeah, I'll write up a contract. And he wrote something like Martijn will earn I think it was 10 years at the time or something like that. It was just production work, sitting behind the laser cutter. What were your initial roles? Are your initial activities almost entirely production, part management? Or was that just what everybody was doing as part of what they were doing? Initially, uh, a lot of the management roles were done by Siert Martijn and Eric, right? So a lot of people coming in were just production, 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 trying to get everything out the door, trying to satisfy as many orders as we could. So tell a little bit more about what it was like for you when you first showed up first day to see what was happening at Ultimaker. So most of the contact was done via Bart. He was like, oh, we're moving to this new building and, and we need help. We need hands decorating everything, moving stuff around. So I showed up. I think I actually met Menno. I was like, yeah, I'm here to help. He's like, oh, 
Great. There was no job interviews like, oh, you're here to help? Okay, grab a box. This needs to go there. This shelf needs to go up. My thought was if I get one foot in the door helping them move, I'm a known entity so I can help them with the rest that's of the That's smart. And it seems to have worked really well in your case. No, that's wonderful. <laughs> I'm still here. Yeah. It was just fun being there. A group of friends doing something cool. 3D printing was very new to me, very new technology as well. So uh, it was just very interesting being there. And I didn't, didn't really care about not having signed the contract uh, or whatever. So I think it actually took two months before we actually put pen on paper and said, hey, this is the, <laughs> this is the contract you're getting. But yeah, it was... It was like that at the time. So what was the spirit like? Was this the move to the schoolhouse? Yes. Tell me what that site was like when you arrived to it. I had never been to Geldermalse before, which is a small little village next to the train station. They grow fruit. And I was told like, so if you exit the station, you go left and then you go there and there. And I just felt like I was walking towards a field and like away from everything that, that was the village. And uh, there was this old house that you could barely see from the side of the station because it was completely overgrown with large bushes on the side and everything so i had to cross illegal you, this is the thing with getting there you had to illegally cross the main road with lots of traffic going back and forth because there was no personnel no crosswalk no traffic lights no nothing so there was like this space in the hedge where you had to peek through <laughs> Is there anything coming? Then quickly cross and then you're at the correct side. And it was just it was just a house. So it turned out to be an old school building, but I think before that it was just a house. And and when you walked around it, you saw there was this extra building that was what we ended up calling Siberia. And then just behind that there was a big barn, actually two and we eventually, I think a couple of years later, also moved into one of the two barns there as well. Right. The building that we moved into looks like it was preparing to be torn down. Like, I remember, because we started out at the bottom, because that was, like, there were enough layers of stuff in between us and the empty and the, the sky that if it rained, it, it wouldn't rain down on the bottom floor, right? But I remember going up, into what later we turned into the R&D uh, facility, there was actually like this blow up swimming pool because there was this huge leak in the roof. <laughs> and then later when we needed more room, we couldn't move upstairs with that giant leak. So we had to fix it. And it was very fun going up there the first couple of weeks because there were beds there, but nobody was really sleeping there. But it, especially in the beginning, it was just an an adventure trying to figure out okay what's behind this door and what's here and and what the hell is this and, uh, what's in the attic in the beginning ultimaker started out as a workshop right so there was the foblop in utrecht protospace and they were doing build your own 3d printer workshop and then too many people were subscribing to that so they started just selling the kits and then making a manual or something so people could build it themselves and they, they didn't need to go to the workshop but a lot of the parts that were used were just made for that specific amount of workshop so we were knurling just m6 bolts i think it was just to make a crepper wheel and so it was all made on demand and the more we moved into trying to fulfill the back orders because i remember at a certain point we had over half a year 
of people giving us money and then saying, I want one. And we were saying, okay, we cannot deliver. You have to wait half a year. And they were like, oh, it's fine. So to try and speed that up, we were ordering in new parts, but then you run into minimum order quantities. So we were running out of space very quickly, just trying to catch up with the people more and more ordering the new machines. So you arrived and were essentially pulled in the second you could start putting things in boxes and start making things happen. Yes. But you mentioned some of the skills and some of the, the various roles and, and tasks. Do you want to point out some stages to you taking on new responsibilities, exploring new things while Ultimaker was changing, growing? Yeah, so when I started with Ultimaker, it was just production work, right? So it was just sitting behind the laser cutter, making bolts and, and, and making sure we pack the, the machines to, to be shipped out. And with that, it's coming from a software background, it grew more and more of my interest in the hardware development. We had this arrangement back in the day where you could, if you pre-assemble 10 machines, you get to keep the 11th one. So me and Bart, we were smart, we split 5-5, five five, so we have our own printer together. And I just started tinkering with it, right? So I started playing with it, uh, printing my own. I think one of the first prints I did was the companion cube of Portal, the game, which a lot of people printed at the time. And then this blob, which resembled vaguely the logo of Ultimaker. And it's very fun looking back at those pictures, like the, the amount of mess that's in there and then all the blobs and everything. And you couldn't print the antennas on the robots correctly because the cooling was insufficient. But I was really getting into physically playing with stuff, right? So I was doing that for a year and I decided to try and give my education another go. So I stopped with the company for I think three, four, maybe five months, something like that. So tried to graduate. And then more and more, we were ramping up for the launch of the Ultimaker 2 and they needed somebody in with some technical experience, with some knowledge of the machines, and they needed somebody to help get that process up and running. So I joined the company back to help them testing and to finalize like the latest phases of that. Uh, and I really liked that because it, it gave me the chance to move away from production and really dive into the R&D side of things. Because I've always been somebody who's just, I like diving into the deep end, just Give me a couple of months and I'll, I'll figure it out. It's fun, right? So I started doing that. And then they needed people to also go abroad because we were doing more and more conventions. So then I was asked if I wanted to go. I don't know which one my first one was. But if I wanted to go to a convention and I ended up going to the Maker Fair in San Francisco, I ended up going to the one in New York. Do you remember what year? And then in San Francisco, we sold like four of the five prototypes that we had. <laughs> and then we needed those because we didn't set up production yet. So we had, <laughs> I think we made five machines and I actually spilled blood on those machines because like all the aluminum edges, they were not chamfered whatsoever. Yes. I but heard about that. we had Thomas with us, who is a genuine sales guy. So people came up and they were like, can I buy this? It was like, then I don't need to bring them back. So sure. And we had one machine that was out to make magazine for a photo shoot to prepare like the whole marketing stuff to get it launched. And that was the one that we got back. Like none of it was injection molded. So everything was hand painted. That's the one we, we 
gave to production and, and we're like this is how it's supposed to look so make sure you can produce this and we were we were lucky that the architecture is not that different from the old to make original and we already had a production line sort of up and running to assemble the ultimate originals so it wasn't too big of a step <laughs> but it was a lot less prepared than what i would expect uh, it to be <laughs> that's a great story but yeah that's so I, I think i spent a lot of the time flying to different conventions to rome to to bristol to wherever they needed somebody who was enthusiastic not a marketing person, so I was actually more of the technical representative, and I would just fly around the world. It was great fun. You were unique in that you were on the technical side, and and yet you had a, a lot of opportunities to really interface with customers all around the world, ones that were starting to figure out what they might do with this kind of stuff. What was that like? So the conventions we went to were mostly maker conventions, where a lot of the engineers go to. And of course, the question I always got asked was, so what can I do with it? And we weren't actually selling the machine. We were more selling like, this is a possibility of a future. This is the machine now can do plastic parts and it can do fidget things, but this is the first stepping stone. And this is to, to, to introduce it to people instead of look what our machine can do compared to this Stratasys or 3D systems machine, because Yes, we were faster, but you could pick ours up and move it somewhere else and place it down and it would s still work-ish. Uh, and a lot of the other machines you were not allowed to touch because well, yeah. <laughs> if it tilted or shifted, it was it was providing different results. And that's why a lot of people, especially at that time, they were taking it with them to a makerspace and with them to friends and with them to the company they were working in to, to say, hey, I can do this cheaper. And so that was really what I think brought Ultimaker into the door of a lot of companies yes. is that you were just able to carry ours around. We actually demonstrated that. I also walked <laughs> around on conventions with the battery yes. pack printing the springy bracelets. And I would always have like this huge following of kids just stalking me to f because we set up the machine in a continuous print. So it would print a bracelet and then use the fan ducts to shoot the bracelet out of the, the machine and then start printing the new bracelet automatically so I could walk around for two hours in the convention floor with the thing as a backpack. I remember that. I would be interested in a stand somewhere and look there and then turn around and then have this huge crowd around me <laughs> trying to get one of those bracelets. So that was, that was a lot of fun. So were you kind of on the ground level of, were you doing toolhead testing and really involved? Yeah. So we launched Ultimaker 2 and we prepared it for dual extrusion printing. We thought, oh, this is going to be great. We were 100% going to launch a dual extrusion for the Ultimaker 2. And then we started testing and so we were, we had three things. Heat, we couldn't get rid of the excess heat of the second nozzle. Second thing was the, the oozing as well. We didn't have a good feeder at the time because it was direct drive and it was sort of chewing up the filament. With temperature control, it was just a bit tricky. Uh, so it was oozing a lot. But, but in my opinion, the biggest problem was what we called the ghosting effect. It happened when the second nozzle because of either not being aligned properly, which is super hard to do because you're you're extruding 0 0.1 or 0 0.05 millimeters in layers. And then you have to make sure that that your nozzles are also like below that tolerance, because if you don't have that, 
that would create is is sort of like a ghost image of the second empty nozzle dragging through the material you just deposited and so and that in combination with the oozing of course that's why eventually we decided like we cannot move this to market it's the the method that we wanted to use when diving deeper into it and spending more time with it, it is it wasn't gonna work. It wasn't up to the quality that we wanted to put out on the market because our goal was still, and I think it still is, is making it one press of a button, loading the file, pressing a button, printing, and this was not doing doing that thing. So that's why we decided to stop with that development start the Ultimaker 3 development, which had the movable nozzles, but we needed a stopgap in between. So that's why we released the to-go and the, and the extended, right? Uh, and we could we could launch something, keep our name in the market, have a bigger portfolio, which is also important, and buy us time to actually develop the Ultimaker 3. One of the questions that we asked here was to tell the story of what it meant for Ultimaker 2 be clear when it launched the two that our original plan was not going to be followed about the dual extrusion. What did you think of that? I was very happy with it, actually. There was no ill intent in that decision. We thought we could do it. We ended up being wrong. We had very good reasons why it wasn't going to work. So it was, for me, a very easy thing to explain because you could just say, so what do you want? Something that doesn't work? And then call it dual extrusion because th that's what you'll get if you want us to launch something now. It made me always feel like I had genuine reasons to explain to people why it wasn't coming. And of course, you have to say sorry, but I'd, I'd rather people have something that actually works than something that uh, delivers on false promises. It's a very a cliche thing that if you have fun working, you never work a day in your life, right? The people with the company have a big uh, factor in that so they're a big part of that atmosphere people like working with each other and are really enthusiastic in what they're doing and that's what i think made ultimaker the company that it is that's what made us like this approachable company that a lot of people like to work with that's what made the company big personally i always like reflecting because it gives perspective right if i look at the company now if i Look at it from a new person entering the company's perspective. You can be critical of a lot of things uh, that we're not doing perfectly, that we can have a lot of room to improve upon. But it's also good to see where we've actually come from. And that was us stacking boxes in a hallway and being happy that we sent out 10 printers and needing to go to the hardware store because we ran out of uh, supplies for the next couple of uh, machines. And there are so many like different smaller companies or uh, different companies in between going from that stage to where we are now. So I, I, I always like comparing because it gives so much perspective and calmed because if we could overcome those phases, we can do whatever we want in the future. Uh, yeah. But we don't know where it will go with, with the company. Every two years it's a new company. So 
I, I don't know where it's going to go. I'm just hopeful that if we stick together with the people for Multimaker, I, I think we can achieve a lot of great things there. And as long as we keep having fun doing it, I think that's also very important. Because that, that translates, right? Having fun, being able to have fun at work, allowing the people to be enthusiastic about what they do is, is the best thing you can have in the company. Because that translates to, to everything. And it radiates. Thank you again to this week's guest. We'll return next week with another full episode of Talking Additive. And in two weeks' time, join us right here for our next bonus episode. Don't want to miss any of this great content? If you haven't already, you should subscribe to Talking Additive wherever you listen to podcasts. And join the conversation by signing up for news and announcements at TalkingAdditive.com. Editing for this episode by Alexander Seuss. Our series producer is Hanna Gabrielle Tacchini. Studio manager, David Roberson. Executive producer, Nuno Campos. Music by Brian Scary and Giulio Carmasi of Hummingbirds Custom Music and Sound. I am host and producer, Matt Griffin. And thank you for listening. 